Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Tuesday, January 14th, 2014, and today we are reading from the big book. We're in a chapter, Bill's Story, and we are on the second paragraph that begins that wartime day in Old Winchester Cathedral. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Edith, 12 Traditions, Santa, and then Marjorie, Larry, Paula, and Marita. And the share code for yesterday, Monday, the 13th of January, is 5767. 5767. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that, People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Edith to please read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Edith, a compulsive overeater in Alabama. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening As a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Edith. I will now ask Santa to please read the 12 traditions. 
star one to unmute, Santa. Good morning. Santa from New Jersey. Recover, compulsive, overeater. These are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous shall remain forever nonprofessional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service scores or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversies. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, or other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, forever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Santa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you have done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted.
And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We're in the chapter Bill's story. We are on page 10. And we are beginning with the second paragraph, that wartime day. And I am going to ask Marjorie to please start reading for us. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Marjorie, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are. For that means blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces at work. Despite contrary indications, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. How could there be so much of precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation. But that was as far as I had gone. When he refers to the wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral, he's referring to the little section on page one where when he was in the service in World War I, he was in England, visited West Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot, whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. I had exactly that same experience as Bill, and it was a a two-pronged experience. He was having that experience of being moved within the cathedral, and he was having that experience of being warned something to do with drinking. When I was 13 years old, I was on retreat. It was January. It was the Midwest. I was with a group of my classmates and the rabbi. We walked across a frozen lake, and we visited a monastery, and I'd never been to a monastery before. And I remember that profound sense of silence and that wonderful sense of safety that I felt there. So like Bill, I was moved. I would not have been able to articulate it at the time, but now it's I was 13 years old. So that was a bit of a time ago. But then after that retreat, one of my classmates wrote an article for the newsletter. And what it said about Marjorie was she could be found behind mounds of food. And that really hurt. So there were those two-pronged experiences for Bill and the two-pronged experience for myself. And throughout the years... I had this desire to experience that safety and that peace and that warmth and that silence as I had experienced it that morning within those 
thick stone walls. It was like a castle. And there were times periodically when I did get to experience that. But with regard to my eating, with regard to my food, with regard to my obesity, I did not connect the two experiences. It wasn't until recovery that those two experiences got connected, cooked together, simmered together, and and I've been recovered now and transformed by this way of life. Thanks for listening to me, and I pass. Thank you, Marjorie. Would anyone like to comment on these two paragraphs? Arlene from Pittsburgh. I heard Laura, Lauren, and I heard someone before Lauren, but I didn't catch your name. Eileen. Eileen. Okay, Eileen and then Lauren. Go ahead, Eileen. Thank you. This is Eileen, a compulsive overeater from Bedford, Mass. Um, This was a great paragraph and someone shared yesterday about how pain is a great motivator to start to change and I I feel as if or I believe as if that Bill has been in a lot of pain because of the progression of his disease and that he explains to us that he had always believed that a power greater than himself led led the universe, but I think he didn't he didn't work it or he didn't put it into action until he was in a lot of pain, and then when he started to hold the belief that maybe there is a higher power, maybe there is a God who's leading things, the things started to change for him. Um, this is what happened to me as well. I, I grew up Catholic. I was taught a certain way, but I, I just did not believe. I did not have the belief. I did not have the faith and the trust that there was a, a higher power who was leading things and controlling things. But now I have that belief and trust and faith in so many areas of my life. I'm not working right now. I've got two interviews this week, and I'm going to say a prayer before I go into both of those interviews. God, your will before mine, because I'm an incredible controller. But I want to live my life dependent on what God believes and what, what he believes and what he wants for me. So this was a beautiful paragraph, and thanks for listening. I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. Lauren, go ahead. Thank you. Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, recovered compulsive. Um on the previous page on nine, I I have written in my book, um, in the for page nine to sixteen. So we're now in the second half of Bill's story. I look at my willingness by underlining anything I find that I am not willing to do that Bill did to recover. So 
I underlined in this paragraph, the second one that was read, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. And when I was first going through these pages carefully in was March, March this year, I only underlined a few, only underlined one sentence in this paragraph, um, and then in the previous one, the denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must believe. But now I see I could have underlined almost every single word. And this paragraph really connects, um, in my opinion, to the he talked for hours paragraph. Because whenever the he talked for hours paragraph said his grandfather's insistence that the spheres really have their the spheres really have their music relates to uh, Pythagoras's the music of the spheres by Pythagoras, and that means that there I have also my um, recovered big book uh, sponsor and text said that there, there's his grandfather insisted there was a harmonious power undertaking everything. So the, real, the spheres really had their music. And then in the paragraph just read, I have little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all, that there was a harmonious power underlying everything. So here <clears throat> we can see that Bill agrees with his grandfather's reference to the music of the spheres. He agrees that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all that the spheres really had their music. He's just like me. He's just like Warren. I believed in in my my um, hundred generations of Italian ancestry that there is something great out there, something touching us deep in our hearts. However, I was sick, and I had a sickness of the soul. And um, I also told myself, you know, how could there be so much precise and unchangeable law and no intelligence? Could I believe in a spirit of the universe? Was this as far as I had gone? Did my spirit of the universe know neither time nor limitation? And finally, what I recognize in these words is my higher power, that I was, that I was coming into um, an understanding of my limited understanding. It had to be something great that when that craving hit, it had to be great enough to relieve me of myself. And I really, really didn't know what it was, but it was something spirit of the universe, God, boss universal, power. It had to be something something way greater than anything I'd ever um, believed in before, anything I'd ever believed in before. Um something greater than anything I'd ever believed in before. Um, okay, uh, thanks, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Paula. Janice. May I comment? Okay, I heard Paula and somebody else. Janice. Janice. Okay, Paula and then Janice. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsible Reader. You know, I just wanted to back up just a bit. It said they, Bill is listening here. Bill is listening. It seems he's listening very intently, and as he's listening, many memories, as he's listening to Ebby, many things are coming to play in his mind. And he said, he lists his memories. 
That made me swallow hard. He talked about his grandfather. Then what memory did that trigger? You want to talk about triggers? That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. Okay, it came back again. It was there. It was already there. And yes, as was said, we've all had those moments. We landed in England. What had he seen in England? What he had had been exposed to during this war? I visited Winchester Cathedral. Now, before he even moved, uh, before he left that place, something within moved him. It wasn't without. It wasn't the beauty of the place. Something moved him within. We've all been moved that way. We've all been moved that way by a place, but more than a place, may I add, by a touch. My attention was caught, and then he went outside in something else. But I want to come back to where we were, where we were, and where Bill was. And he said then, I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. But then, what does he say a few lines down? Despite contrary indications, he didn't live like he believed. He lived like he knew, but he didn't believe. I had little doubt, and look what he adds on, that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. How could there be much, so much? Now remember, Bill, if nothing, his thinking is very precise. And immutable laws and no intelligent. Even he couldn't come away and say, could it be nothing? And that's what he said. I simply, this was it. I had to believe in a spirit of universe who knew neither time nor limitation. For you see, Bill knew time and limitation. But that was as far as I had gone. That was as far as he could go. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Janice, your turn. Go ahead. Yes. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, th- this is so picturesque because we see Bill now. He's, he's, he's still drinking now, so that's important um, because when he's with Bill, with he, when he's with Ebby, you know, he's, he's, he's going through this process. He's, he's struggling with this idea. Um, but you see, for me, I see that if the food is still there, if the alcohol is still there, he can't even think of a higher power. Because what I did was I couldn't ask a god, even though I knew there was a god. I was, you know, I wasn't an atheist um, for help because the bottle for Bill and the trigger foods for me healed my wounds. So, you know, he's struggling in his mind, yet he he knows that he doesn't have the answer because he's emotionally and spiritually um, uh, stunted. He, he, he couldn't go on thinking higher than what he's using for a solution, and that's his bottle. The bottle healed him. So his development was stunted because he's still drinking, but he's struggling, see, the mind. He's thinking because, gee, he sees Ebby. You know, he looks terrific, but uh, he, can't, he can't straighten that thinking out yet. So, um, you know, because he still sees that the bottle is helping him. And it's a process. But he's, gonna be, he's coming slowly to believe because he's, he's seesawing. So with that, I will pass. Thanks. 
Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? Go ahead, Bella. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. Yes, it was me. I grew up religious, and I knew that there is God, and I believed that there is God, but I, I didn't know how to put God into my everyday life. You know, God is something that I don't see. And sometimes I did feel, but I, I didn't put God into my, my life, and special not in my diet, because God is nothing to do with my diet. I don't have a willpower. I cannot lose weight, and if I am gaining, it's only because of me. And that's it. I knew that there is God that I have to be a good girl to do good things, and then I am getting a, a reward. And if I am a bad girl, I am getting punished. I didn't know God at all. And thank God, thank God, I am. It, it happened to me a miracle that I am in the program, and suddenly I, I, I realize, yeah. There is completely a different God. Now I do see and feel and believe that, yes, God is my loving father, my wonderful partner, and my doctor, my judge, my psychologist. He is everything, and he is, I am under his loving arms. He, is, he loves me, and he cares for me. And yes, my way of eating is the way I am connected to God. And it's a wonderful feeling that, yes, I am willing and I want to, to, to bring God into my everyday life, every second. And it's a wonderful feeling that I know that I have a wonderful relationship with my father, my king. And thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And this is Monica, and I'm going to put in a, a, a penny here. So here we are. We're in Bill's story, and uh, we're Abby's visiting him. Abby has uh, just, you know, pronounced to him that uh, he's found religion. And before that, you know, Bill was in a really dark black place here, and he's realized that liquor is his master that he is powerless, his life is unmanageable. So here we're reading his process of step two, of his thinking of what he's going through to, um, to, for step two. And step two is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And we've read how he grew up with his grandfather and what his grandfather's beliefs were. And um, Bill never really had much um, uh, knowledge beyond that. He didn't have it. And so his eyes here are being awakened to all of this stuff and this idea of a power greater than him. And he's trying to figure this out. And he's going, yeah, yeah, I always believed that there was something, but I never went beyond that. And here's Abby saying, you know, Abby, who's bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, he's clean, he's sober, he's, you know, uh, 
uh, a miracle has happened to him. Something has worked on Ebby. And Ebby says it's religion. And, of course, that makes the hair stand up on Bill's neck. So, But he's, he's, you know, he's in a place of desperation here, and he's, he's got a little willingness, thank God. He's thinking about all this stuff. And um, he says, well, I had a little doubt that there was something underneath it all. But he just, he just hadn't gone any further than that. You know, is there really something that can help me? Me, little me down here? Is there something really interested in me? Because all his life he's used liquor as his solution. Liquor has been his god. And now he's, you know, step one, he's come to the conclusion that liquor is not the answer. That he is powerless over it. And it's just causing him more pain. And uh, thank God here, um, he's going to go further with this thinking. And is there anybody else who would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Leah. Leah, go ahead, Leah. Thank you, Monica, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, Bill states here, I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. An atheist, of course, is one who says there is no God. Um, but, of course, that la- last statement there, but that was as far as I had gone. Um, you know, essentially, Bill was a practical agnostic, you know, meaning that he he believes in a power greater than himself, but acts like he disbelieves there's a power greater than himself, meaning that he's been standing on his own two feet. He's been certainly running his own show. Uh, We've been reading about uh, how well that's going. Um, You know, he's been ruling his own destiny. He never turned to God for help. And, of course, you know, we see that he got the same help from God that the atheist gets, which is nothing. So even though he had a belief in God, he really had no relationship with God. He had no knowledge of God because he never tried to use God in his life. He certainly made his own decisions and was the king of his own castle. Um, And, of course, he's had a mad descent into the grips of alcoholism. You know, step two is not an action step. It is a conclusion of the mind. You know, he, with the help of step one and with the help of tremendous amount of pain, torture, and the degradation of his life, um, you know, perhaps he's realized here that he lacks some power. Certainly, uh, Ebby is bringing up these ideas that Bill thought he had kind of wrapped in a pretty box and tied with a bow and put away. You know, but pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change in people like us. Unless we let go of our distrust and begin to lean on something greater than ourselves, we will continue to operate in an insane manner. And certainly Bill's chaos and confusion will only increase. So we are forced to reconsider. Bill sees that he has to reconsider or die. That's essentially where he's at right now. He has been crushed. The disease has turned up the heat. And Ebby, of course, is here with a message. Ebby is sitting across from him uh, sober and free and, 
you know, offering testimony that he's been released from the compulsion to drink because of a god. Bill states here, my intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces at work. Certainly, uh, you know, Bill believes in the mind. He believes in the intellect. Uh, later on, he's going to tell us in the text here that uh, deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental um, idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things. Certainly, he has intellectual heroes. He worships the mind. But the mind is about knowledge and certitude. Faith and belief in something greater than ourselves gets to the point where we have to accept that for which there is no evidence. And as crazy as that seems, the disease kind of corners us to put, be put in that position. You know, God came in through my wound. It was not any uh, intellectual exercise here going on. It was there was no way out. So, you know, that, that's what I see here. The, the big book, uh, the 12 steps force us, because of the pain of the disease, to reconsider. You know, sometimes we make decisions. Bill made a decision about God a long time ago. The disease forces us to reconsider. He was stunted spiritually. And why should that be surprising? There's all kinds of stunted development. There's stunted physical development. There's stunted emotional development, stunted intellectual development. Well, when we make decisions in our childhood or young adulthood about who and what God is, uh, we stunt ourselves. We cut ourselves off the path. Um, you know, Bill is stunted Develop, he's developmentally stunted in the realm of the spiritual. And, uh, you know, I can relate to that, and I certainly had to uh, realize that a life based on the belief that God exists was going to be far superior for me than a life without that foundation. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Let's move on. And Larry, would you read, please? Sure. Thanks, Monica. This is Larry, Recovered Compulsive Overeater uh, from Chicago. <clears throat> With ministers in the world's religions, I parted right there. When they talked of a God personal to me, who is love, su superhuman strength and direction, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. Yeah, this is Bill, again, you know, we're, uh, step two, came to believe. Doesn't say we, we believe yet, um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's under this disease is whipping him good as it did me. And, um, and, and, you know, when I read this paragraph, you know, I recognize that, yeah, you see, I, I searched for the failings of my fellow human beings through religion, be it ministers, rabbis, whomever, religious people, but just other people that were practicing, you know, so-called religion. And as I searched for their failings and the hypocrisy, um, an interesting thing happened. I found those human imperfections in droves, you know, I, uh, because what we search for, we find, and we find it every time. And what existed for me then exists for me today. I search for lack, I find lack. You know, I search for whatever I search for, I find. And that's what I found. So, um, 
you know, who, who do you think you are? You know, these, these ministers, rabbis are just people that are espousing, you know, religious faith, you know, but you're, you're, you're these people that do all these things. You know, that's why I cringed. That's why I, yes, like Bill, my, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut, you know. It didn't just sort of gently close. It snapped shut against such a theory. And, and then I went on and began and continued to practice my disease. I'll find another way. You see, but but the beautiful part of this program, you know, when I when I flip over to page five sixty seven to five sixty eight, um, because I, I I'd rather read what they what they say versus what I have to say about it. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. See, my mind was snapped shut. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. And that was me. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. And see, for me, they were indispensable. And um, like Bill, you know, I, I love, you know, the fact that, that you know, becoming, you know, coming to believe made all the difference for me. I wasn't prepared. You know, there might be someone on the line that's just in the process of that acknowledgement of, of um, coming to believe. But I'm reminded there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. When they talked to the God personal, personal to me, who was love, superhuman strength and direction, I became irritated, and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. You know, it was many, 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 many years into OA that I even considered reading the chapter, We Agnostics. You know, because the fact was, I grew up in religious schools. Why would I need to know about God? You know, and, and what they're talking about here is not religion. What We Agnostics tried to teach us is that we need a higher power. Bill now understands that he's powerless. He is powerless. He's as powerless as his friend, Eddie. That's why he is open to what Eddie is talking about. So he needs to find out, you know, we're learning what is his resistance to seeking the solution that his friend found. You know, I I spent many years in a religion, and, and I was scared to death of God. It wasn't that I didn't believe. You know, in my mid-20s, there were some circumstances in my life where I committed you know, what's called mortal sins, and I was going to go to hell. So my job at that point was to hide from a higher power. You know, I grew up thinking God was Santa Claus. He was this man up in heaven that was looking down, and he had a list of who was naughty and who was nice. And I was trying not to be in that naughty column. And if I didn't want to be in that naughty column, I didn't have to go to God. I had to hide from God. You know, God was this omniscient thing. It was nothing personal. God's job was world hunger. 
He didn't have time for Kim's hunger. How could I ask this God that was so busy with all the tragedies that I saw throughout the world be concerned because I can't make it from lunch to dinner without binging my brains out? I needed a personal God to me. But that personal God scared me, and that's why my mind snapped shut because I was so afraid of being punished for the sins of what I have done in my life. I needed a God that I could go to when I was afraid, that I could go to when I felt bad, that I could go to when I was angry. And I didn't have that God in my life. We're going to see in this next chapter, there's a chapter called There is a Solution. And my mind was snapped shut thinking, you don't understand. I have problems with my family. I have problems with my job. I have problems in relationships. I have problems with money. How could there be one solution? But the fact of the matter was um, that I always had one solution. Now, maybe one day it was a ding-dong and one day it was a Dorito, but it was always the food. I don't remember an instance in my life up till I started to find this higher power where I had a problem and I thought, well, this one's not worth eating over. This one the food's not going to fix. So part of this breaking down was to recognize my one solution that always worked, the food, had stopped working. That I was powerless. And I needed to find a power. And that's what Bill is struggling with. How can he find a power greater than himself, that can restore him to sanity. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning. This is Sharon in Colorado. May I share? Go ahead, Sharon. Thank you, Monica. Um, This chapter, uh, well, actually, this paragraph just uh, brings up so many things to me. Uh, regarding uh, my religious background, it was such a part of my life from the time I was very small. I was um, raised Catholic, and I went all through parochial school, and so, you know, religion was there every single day of our lives. And yet, my little childlike mind um, became very fearful of God at a very early age, and uh, just like Kim had shared, you know, there were just so many things that you did that were wrong, and mortal sins, and and sacrilege, and I don't know, all these things that just were these big words that scared me to death. And I, too, thought God was just up there um, counting off, you know, the good and the bad, and it seemed like, you know, the bad always outweighed the good. And so I did have very distorted ideas about God. And in my uh, late 20s, when my first marriage failed, I got so angry at the um, Catholic Church, one of the priests, actually, but I, you know, at that point, I, I really thought the priests were like God. I mean, I didn't know they were uh, human beings just like me. And so when they said something, that was, you know, God telling you. And um, so anyway, I too went through all this. Even when I first came into a 12-step program, it was like uh, the third step I just got stuck on so many years ago. How can I turn my will and my life over to this God that I think is out to get me? So I am just so grateful today to know that there that there is the um, gift of, of grace and that there is the gift of a personal relationship with God and that it is that it is rooted in love and um, and I just um, you know came to this meeting after years of struggling with trying to get abstinent and stay abstinent 
that I finally realized that it was, <clears throat> you know, I, I thought, well, I must still be doing something wrong. I keep failing, 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 no matter what I tried. So what I came to understand when I started listening to this program in July of 2012 was that I had just not understood to the core of my being the mental twist, the obsession of the mind, and the physical allergy, that there were certain items for me that I cannot ingest into my system, just like I cannot ingest alcohol into my system. And once that, you know, revelation was so clear to me, then I began to work through these steps, which I have done, and now live recovered and am able to help others. So I am just so grateful to be here every day listening on the line. I want to thank everyone for their incredible service. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Katie. Katie, go ahead. Good morning. This is Katie in uh, Gordonsville, Virginia. Um, my problem was I thought I was re- I thought I was religious. I thought I did have a personal relationship with God, and I still could not stay abstinent. So. You know, I just kept identifying out um, from from finding a solution. You know, as Kim has said and as Sharon just said, you know, we have to to keep an open mind or, you know, this miracle will not happen. And I was given the gift of desperation. you know, I, I believe that God had superhuman strength and direction, but, you know, I just didn't think that he uh, cared about me and my food plan and my food program and my eating uh, disorder. I thought that I was supposed to figure it out on my own. And, you know, it wasn't until I came to a place where I was willing to just possibly listen to other people's experience that I was able to recover. And that is what um, Bill is doing here. You know, he thinks he knows it all, and yet he is seeing this miracle sitting in front of him. So, you know, we are going to see that God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So as much as, you know, it's about um, seeking God, you know, it really is about faith. And faith is believing in things you cannot see. And that I cannot muster up on my own. I couldn't make it happen for myself. I, uh, it's a leap. And, you know, when you think of leaping, I think of, you know, just leaping over something, over an abyss. And it's like it, it just, you close your eyes and you just jump. And you pray you get to the other side. And that is what happens in these rooms and on this phone line. You know, that God meets us where we are. It's, um, you know, I don't have to compare myself to someone else's views of God. Uh, God will meet you wherever you are. And, but it takes that first step to surrender to the fact that you are powerless over food. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. 
This is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. When they talked of of a God personal to me who was love, superhuman strength, and direction, I became irritated, and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. Um, um, That's my experience too. I was I was born in a religion uh, with a religious faith. uh, Practice it. I still practice it, but I did not have this personal relationship, and. but, you know, step two is another conclusion here. And, and Bill is pondering all this stuff. And he's coming to the conclusion, well, you know, things I've done for years haven't worked. And the things that I've believed for years aren't working. And I'm stuck here in the corner. And I don't know what to do. And Ebby shows up and says, hey. There's a power greater than you out there that can do something for you here, that can help you here. And um, Abby, you know, Bill looks at Abby, and he and he knows Abby. You know, they've gone on some nice binges together. They've done a lot of heavy drinking together, and he knows that Abby couldn't do it by himself. Abby was gonna. They were getting ready to put him in jail or an insane asylum. But here's Abby. Something has happened to Abby, and he can't deny that. And he knows it isn't Abby. Some power greater than him has worked here. You know, don't have to understand it. But you come to the point where it's like, hey, you know what? My way is not working. Am I willing to think outside the box here a little bit? And that's what these first 100 people who wrote this book are saying to us. Try it. It's worked. We're proof. There is something that can help you here. If you're willing to try it. And and how do we, you know, how do we try it? What do we do? It's called working the steps. And my personal experience was by working these steps, I did come to a point of having today I feel I have a personal relationship with a power that's greater than me. And this power has proved to me over and over and over again, and it has done for me over and over and over again what I spent 50 years trying to do. And with that, I'll pass. And would anybody else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, Monica. I heard Cherry. Sherry. Sherry. And Lois. Sherry and then Lois. Okay. Sherry, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Um, Boy, I have always been close-minded to religion, and I, I, I still am. Um, my grandmother was the, the, the figure that was um, always, you know, t- talking about church and, and Jesus, and <clears throat> and yet she was, um, oh gosh, uh, you know, on the one hand. She would talk about it, but then she wouldn't live it. Um, and um, I just, I was one that just, you know, my mind shut the door to it. And um, and I didn't like this, I don't know, the strictness of, um, of religion that I had to do this and I had to do that. And um, so, and also, uh, you know, my, my SOS prayers to God never were 
answered the way that I wanted them to be answered. And living with um, uh, active alcoholism and even having that in my uh, family um, as a child, um, you know, the God that, that, that other people talked about was was not one that I um I, I didn't I didn't believe in. I mean, yeah, I knew there was something but but not not for Sherry. Now Sherry's, you know, she can do all this herself and oh anyway, so oh how wonderful that when I came into twelve step programs, um that I did slowly discover that there was a power greater than myself and it, it, I didn't have to go to church and do what they said to have that power in my life. Um, and it has grown over um, over the years. Um, you know, sometimes my will comes into play, and uh, and I act and do things that you would, you know, that that God wouldn't want me to do. But you know, I'm still a piece of work. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, I'll never graduate from this program. And I'm so grateful for that that I can just keep coming back and um, and you know the, the twelve steps have become such an important part of my life and uh, and with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Lois, go ahead. Hi. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois in Massachusetts, and um, boy, um, the, the previous speaker. Um, shared a lot of my my story and uh, and my share but i too you know i came from a background of of um i was i was brought up a baptist and i spent a lot of my teenage years many hours during the week you know in in youth groups and and praise meetings and you know i really enjoyed my my church friends and you know i i i had an underst- an intellectual understanding of god and Things were going fine for, with me, in, you know, in my teenage years, and and um, I really didn't have any kind of um, problem with that at all. But it wasn't until later on in my life, you know, I, I came from alcoholism. I I married a man who was an alcoholic, and problems really began to surface in my life. And I began to uh, pray and ask God for help and. You know, things in my life got worse, such as, you know, most diseases do. I was also a product of the alcoholic family system and was part of that as well. So, you know, things got progressively worse in my marriage and in my life. And I prayed and I asked God for help in many areas. And um, nothing seemed to change. And, and you know, I guess my, my disease was progressing in me as well. And, and I began to stop believing. And I began to get angry and resentful. You know, once again, you know, there's somebody here that just doesn't care, doesn't answer, and I began to just shut down. And and I began to activate my disease. I began to turn to food. I turned to alcohol for a few years. And, and these are the things that turned me off from asking for help and began to um, take away the feelings of disillusion, giving up, anger, resentment. And my disease, as usual, progressed and progressed and progressed. And it wasn't until I was desperate enough to, um, I don't care if this is the only house on the block, I'm going to try it. You know, listening to people in program, I need help, I need help. I had many, many surrenders. But it wasn't until 
many years had gone by, 10 or 15, that I truly, this disease brought me to my knees. And I was willing to do whatever it took. And I began to ask God for help. I cannot do this. And like Leah mentioned this morning, he came to me through my wounds. And I felt, I felt a shift and I began to think that something, maybe this is going to be okay. Maybe I'm going to be okay. And I began to try to practice the, these uh, steps in my life and ask for help and for practice, you know, the 12 steps of this program and make it a, the largest part of my day in my life. And, and it, for me, it worked, you know. I began to slowly, you know, recover, and, and I worked these steps, and I, just like the big book promised, I was transformed. My mind was transformed. First of all, I put the food down. I began the steps, and I diligently applied those out of desperation. You know, I was, I think I've mentioned many times before, I was voted most cheerful in school. You know, and I had, I had really, you know, hardened my heart. I had no hope. This disease had taken everything from me, in, emotionally and mentally. And and I began to work this program like the big book promises us, and, and I have received a transformation. My mind was transformed by these steps. And I just had to add that because if anybody's on the line and they're just beginning to, you know, apply this and listen to understand, please don't give up until your miracle happens for you as well. This program really works. It worked for me, and it will work for you. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. And we've come to the end of our time here this morning. Thank you to everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Paula, can you read for us, please, from a vision, from a vision for you? Thank you that I can. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rueda. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Get freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. Thank you.